Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as I start to transition into from the offseason into what this team is going to start looking like in the 2020-2021 year. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it will be Tuesday, uh, November 24th, I believe. Yeah, and that means that the Nuggets will be going to training camp exactly one week from Tuesday. That is frankly frightening and a little bit stressful as somebody who has been covering this team pretty closely for the last three, four, five months, ever since July, really. Um, Be that as it may, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. And the offseason that the Nuggets just had, as good or as bad as you think it is that it is, there's not a lot of time to think about it. There's not a lot of time to really evaluate whether the moves were good, whether they were bad, whether the Nuggets got better or worse. I have my opinions on the subject, and things are probably going to be a little bit pessimistic here. But that doesn't mean that the Nuggets are done I think they're probably going to take the 17 players that are currently on the roster or believed to be on the roster. I think they're probably going to take those 17 players into training camp. And we can break that down real quick, but three segments are going to go on today. First, I'm going to talk about the loss of Jeremy Grant and the substitution of Jamichael Green in the first segment. In the second segment, we're going to talk about the other additions and, and what they look like. Um, from the young perspective, from the uh, the the Facundo Campazzo uh, edition as well, which I thought was confusing. Um, and then we're also going to talk about building the rotation for this next year, what that's going to look like, and and what Nuggets fans I think can expect right now. It's going to be interesting. But first, let's talk about Grant. Um. The Nuggets were obviously blindsided by Grant departing. All indications that they received from the front office, from Grant's camp, uh, from everybody around the league, they they thought that Grant wanted to stay. And I believe that their offseason would have been different if they had had any inkling that Grant was about to depart. I think that you might have seen them try to trade for Robert Covington as opposed to trading for Drew Holiday. I think you might have seen them try to trade for a lot of guys um, or maybe devote their mid-level exception or biennial exceptions to players that were more wing-based or forward-based at that point. Um, as it stands, 
they lost Grant and were blindsided by his wish to be a focal point in the offense. Uh, Troy Weaver, who is, I believe, the general manager now for the Detroit Pistons, he was with Grant in Oklahoma City. He had a relationship with Grant dating back to Grant's days at Syracuse under Jim Beheim, And my belief is that for the same contract, Grant was offered the opportunity to really develop his game and become the star that he believes he can be. And more power to him. I, I think that that's great. I wish him the best in that. I don't think anybody around the league genuinely believes that he's developing into a star. It could it could happen. I, I less surprising things have or more surprising things have happened, excuse me. But Grant's role around the league has always been as like the elite role player, the guy who is in the starting unit but kind of does the things that other stars aren't able to do. He defends the opposing team's best wing or best forward. He makes life easier for those around him by offering those complementary skills. Not an elite rebounder, but he does have a good jump shot. He can get into the steals and blocks uh, categories pretty easily. Uh, He is one of only two players in the NBA to amass 50 steals and 50 blocks while shooting 38% from three or better this year, the other being Jason Tatum. Um, He's no slouch when it comes to all-around contributions. He may not be great at any one thing, but he's good at all of them, and be, except for rebounding. I, let, me, let me keep that in, in the frame. Um, but because he was good at everything, except rebounding, the Nuggets thought it would be a good idea to pair him with Michael Porter Jr. long term and have Grant kind of be the, the security blanket for Porter as he continues to develop into a star. Grant saw that as a slight. Grant saw that as as something of a a lesser role than what he believed he deserved. He saw Murray and Jokic and what they did in the bubble, kind of understood what was going on with Porter and and decided he wanted to go somewhere else. And the Nuggets didn't know that. They they had no inkling that that was how he felt. But ultimately, that is how he felt. And because of that, the Nuggets were left to scramble. Uh, They knew they could re-sign Paul Millsap if they gave him a good offer. So the first thing that they did instead of re-signing Millsap was they got Jermichael Green. Green was a solid backup for the LA Clippers this past year. And he was a versatile big man who played the power forward and center spots. Going to go to his uh, basketball reference page just to kind of get the play type data. He spent most of his time at power forward. A lot of his time, it was it was next to Zubac, it was next to Montrez Harrell, who was classified as the uh, as the center. But it's it's still like it's a good indication that he has some positional versatility. Um, in the playoffs, he spent even more time at center proportionally, so he has the ability to slide to a small ball five role, and I think the Nuggets like that especially kind of in the wake of, of how they had to change the team now. Um, Green has shot 39% from three over the last two seasons. Looks really good from that distance. Uh, very confident in his jumper, although he's not like he's not going to be a Michael Porter Jr. He's not going to be a Davis Bertans. He's going to be a steady, 
fill-it-up three-point guy who takes three to four of them a game, and if you ask him to take more, it's probably not a good idea. But that's okay. Sometimes you just need a guy who can hit the shots that he's given. Um, He is also a good rebounder. In the past two seasons, he's averaged 6.2 rebounds per game in about 21 minutes per game. That's a great proportion. And so if you're losing something from Grant in, in his positional versatility, you're gaining a little bit more of a fundamental, traditional defensive approach. Uh, Green is going to be better defending power forwards, better defending centers. Grant was going to be better defending small forwards. I happen to much like value that skill of defending small forwards much more than defending power forwards and centers. But... There are a lot of good power forwards and centers out there, and having a guy who can do that is always going to be capable. It's, it's always going to be nice. Um, maybe this sets up Denver better to defend Anthony Davis long term. Jeremy Grant, I think, sets them up better to defend LeBron James, but Jermichael Green might be a, a good option against Anthony Davis, maybe even better than Paul Millsap was. So there is something to be said for the Jermichael Green edition. I think he's very good under-the-radar guy. He's probably not going to start. I think they start Paul Millsap and play those two about the same amount of minutes during the year. But they're they're going to both be capable. And because they're going to both be capable, that's going to be that's going to be a positive thing for Denver in the regular season. Grant wasn't as capable of a power forward in the regular season, and that's one of the reasons why his plus minus numbers look look the way that they do. Um I think that you'll find that the Jamichael Green edition along with Paul Millsap will help solidify things for Denver in the regular season. There's just going to be more pressure on the playoffs because of what they can't do rather than what they can do. Not having Grant's defensive abilities on the wing is going to be a real problem. And I was kind of surprised when, on top of letting him go, the Nuggets also rescinded the player or the the qualifying offer to Torrey Craig, which would have been a cheap addition and would have been a, a cheap player to keep on the roster and have the ability to defend some of those guys. Um, they also let go of Kata Bates Diop who they're going to sign a different player. Like they wanted to add a couple of other pieces in order to reshape the roster a little bit, but Kata Bates Diop is 6'7", 6'8", with a 7'3 wingspan or something absurd like that. Like he had the physical profile that you're looking for when defending some of these great pieces. So I wonder, uh, I wonder what Denver's plan is there in terms of stopping some of the premier wings in the NBA. Cause I don't really see it. Um, Instead of adding one of the guys that I mentioned last week, one of the wing defender types uh, that they could have definitely added, I don't think that they, like, they decided instead to sign Facundo Campazzo. Campazzo, excuse me. Uh, Which is fine. Uh, He's going to be a good offensive player, and he's going to be helpful for Denver's offense off the bench. Um. I just don't think he's going to be a big contributor to a playoff defense. And I think that's that's where the Nuggets are looking for when you're when you're looking for some of the things that they're going to miss heading into this next year. Uh let me just list off some of the names of what 
what I, I what I recommended for Denver on Thursday night. Uh, Justin Holiday, he had a three-year, $18 million contract, which was $6 million annually. Because Denver had to go after Jermichael Green, they couldn't offer Justin Holiday that money. Uh, Mo Harkless got the biannual exception. Because Denver offered that to Faku, they couldn't offer it to Mo Harkless. Wes Matthews also got the BAE, but he kind of looked like he was going to the Lakers anyway, so it's not like he's going to be... Uh, I don't think he was ever going to come to Denver, but still. James Ennis went to Orlando for a one-year, $3 million deal. That's about the same as the BAE. Etwan Moore went to the Phoenix Suns. Not really a defensive player, but he would have spaced the floor from the wing position, and that was one-year, $2.4 million. Kent Bazemore signed for the minimum with Golden State. Solomon Hill signed a one-year deal that's unknown with uh, with the Atlanta Hawks uh, for an unknown amount of money. He's a 6'7", 6'8", guy who would really help give Denver some physicality there. Uh, Courtney Lee, Marco Bellinelli, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and Nicholas Batum are all unsigned at this point. Um MKG and Nick Batum didn't make my initial list because I didn't expect them to be available, but uh, they are, clearly. I'm surprised that Denver didn't go after one of these names and instead decided to add Campazzo. Um, That must mean that there is something going on with Monte Morris, or there's something going on with Will Barton, Um, because the only reason to add another ball handler in the backcourt for one of Denver's only chips in the free agency market would be to play him. I expect uh, Faku to play. I really do. So we'll talk about that more in the next segment, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about the additional talent that Denver had at the guard and big man positions. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ryan Blackburn here. Uh, talked about the loss of Jeremy Grant and the loss of wing defense in the first segment. I think that's going to be really pertinent for Denver. Maybe not necessarily in the regular season because they're just going to stomach it, but heading into the playoffs, I kind of expect that to be a problem. So we'll talk about that in the third segment again. But let's talk about some of the other additions that Denver made because I think that we kind of glossed over it a little bit, not necessarily with the draft picks, but Guys like Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, we'll talk about Campazzo a little bit more here, Um, but there are some pieces that Denver added that may or may not play, but I think they added them for a reason, and I think you want those guys to be part of your future, or at least part of the present in that case. So let's talk about Hartenstein first. Um, 
watching film of him with the Rockets and with the Rio Grande Valley, um, with Rio Grande, I think it's it's the Vipers, uh, the G League affiliate for the Houston Rockets, pleasantly surprised with him. He has a lot of the same traits that you're looking for in a quality backup center that just does their job to the maximum ability and doesn't screw up. Like, always is going to be in the right place rotationally, give, walls up on defense and, and has some rim protection. Um, sorry, I got a text there. Um, and he's also a competent role man who's going to make the right play. Uh He'll finish at the rim really efficiently. He's an above-the-rim threat as a, a lob guy. That's something that he consistently did in the um, even with the Houston Rockets when, when he was mostly playing during, during garbage time. But he had some stretches where he's playing against some of the, the bad teams in January and February and a time like that. And I think that could be his role in Denver. He doesn't always have to play. He doesn't always have to be a consistent rotation piece. And I'm going to talk about that more in the third segment, that I think Denver's going to do something different with their rotation this year. But I do think that he has the capability to fill in at the right time against the right matchups. And when there's a smaller player that doesn't necessarily space the floor all that well, then he might be a good option as a rim-rolling center who can kind of patrol the rim a little bit and and take shots over the top of the defense and really take advantage of his size and his skill level, which I think is higher than people really expected. So he's only 22. Uh, he's the same age as a lot of the draft prospects that came in, like Xavier Tillman uh, from Michigan State, who was drafted in the first round. Like uh, Hartenstein is the same age as him, and he's a little bit taller, a little bit longer, and might be able to give Denver – something extra. So I'm interested in it. Zeke Naji is next. Uh, he is different from Hartenstein in that he's more of a shooter at the center position, uh, a tougher inside player who is more of a a physical presence. He, he has good footwork, though, and he has a, a really good shooting stroke. Um, he's had a lot of time to work on his shooting mechanics, since coming out of college, since declaring for the draft, knowing that he was going to be an NBA player, uh, he, along with RJ Hampton, who we'll talk about soon, I think those guys are, are good culture adds to what Denver is going to want to do. I'm not sure if Najee's ever going to be a, a starting power forward. Uh, I assume that Jokic is going to be the starting center for the foreseeable future. And like, I don't ever want to think about having to replace Jokic. Like, that's not something I ever really consider. So I was a little bit concerned about drafting a backup center at the 22nd overall pick because I think there were pieces on the on the board that were higher ceilings, like, like an R.J. Hampton, who the Nuggets scooped up at 24. Um, but Najee represents good insurance. He represents a, a good piece that if there was an injury or if somebody needed a rest day, then he's good insurance at center and maybe even power forward. Maybe he's a guy who plays instead of Jermichael Green one night or plays instead of Paul Millsap one night. Those guys are going to need rest days. Jokic will need a rest day here, here or there. And, and I, I know he hasn't ever taken rest days before, but I would love for him to. The Nuggets don't need to be a top two seed in order to, like, like they're going to they're gonna play who they play in the playoffs. And so 
as long as they get home court advantage, then, like, they'll be fine. Um, he's going to be a good shooter. Najee's going to be a good shooter, and he's also going to play hard, and players like that are always going to have a role at the NBA level. So I look forward to seeing how he develops, whether he's a, an impactful rebounder or if he could defend on the perimeter, defend the rim. Uh, I'm curious, because if he can, then maybe he does have a future next to Jokic, but right now I see him as more of a backup five, and we'll see if that changes down the line. Next, let's go to RJ Hampton. Uh, Star potential has been kind of tagged to RJ Hampton's profile, and I think it's definitely realistic. Good ball handler, good slasher to the rim, very quick and athletic with the ball in his hands. Apparently, he grew an inch uh, and gained about 15 to 20 pounds since the since the uh, last time he was measured when he was in Australia. So he's up to six foot six, 200 pounds. That's really good measurables for a defensive player or for for a two guard. Uh, you might even want to see him get up to 210, 215, or something like that. But if not, if he still stays at 200, he's still a guy who is going to be a blur on the offensive side of the floor. And we've seen Jokic, we've seen him grab the rebound and want to chuck the ball down the court and hit guys for touchdown passes as often as he can. Uh, RJ's a guy who, if he gets out and runs and formulates some chemistry with Jokic at some point, he's going to be on the receiving end of a lot of those passes because nobody can keep up with him when he decides to go. That's a really encouraging thing, and and you always want to see players like him find ways to generate easy baskets. Uh, Porter does this all the time with his back cutting, with his offensive rebounding. Uh, He also gets out into transition a little bit too. If Hampton is a transition threat, if he's somebody who can consistently either get to the rim or get to a spot behind the three-point line and let shots fly and feel comfortable about it, the Nuggets are going to have a position for him. It may not be as a starter immediately. It might be more of a backup type, but he to me seems like a piece that that really profiles well for what the Nuggets want to do with their future. As long as he can figure things out on the defensive end, I think he'll always have a role in Denver. More of a two-year project than anything, but if the Nuggets like his progress... He'll be like an MPJ or a Bull Bull, factoring into Denver's plans next year, but kind of taking the year off this time around. Now we get to Faku. Uh, Kampazzo is, I think, the most confusing addition for the Nuggets in this offseason. First of all, it was very confusing to try to figure out what his salary was going to be. I kind of expected the Nuggets to pay him the MLE just because it it doesn't seem like he would want to come over for anything less than like four to five million in order to pay his uh, buyout fee uh, from, uh, I think it was Real Madrid, who he played for. But also like to to cover some of those costs and be worth coming over. Uh, He doesn't want to sit and be the third string point guard in the United States when he could just be a star player for Argentina and for Real Madrid. He's probably going to play. And because he's going to play, the most immediate question I have is, is he going to play backup point guard? Because Monte Morris kind of has that on lock. Um, 
if he plays back a point guard, then what does Monte Morris do? Is Monte Morris going to be a shooting guard? Is he not going to play at all? Uh, is Campazzo not going to play at all? Um, I didn't ever think the backup point guard was really a legitimate need, unless the Nuggets feel like they can't pay Monte Morris long term. Um, and if that's the case, then maybe that's the case, and maybe the Nuggets decide to shop Monte Morris. But the fact is, is that Monte Morris is still here, and I would be sad to see him go because he's given the Nuggets so much, and he's been a really solid backup for them for the last two years. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see those two playing together and being a good combination. Maybe it works against backups, and maybe that's the reason why the Nuggets are going to try to figure that out. Because, make no mistake, I do think that they're going to try to figure it out. I think because Monte Morris is still on the roster, that they're going to try to play Campazzo and Morris together off the bench. Have two ball handlers, kind of make things easier for the rest of the team. Um... Not really sure about what Will Barton's status is right now, so uh, I'll talk about that in the next segment. But having a backcourt of Campazzo and Monte Morris, uh, somebody else at the three, uh, Jermichael Green at the four, and Hartenstein at the five, then that that to me makes sense. Um, maybe they decide to go smaller and put Jermichael Green at the five and figure out what to do with the three and the four, but. It's uh, it's interesting. I'm 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 curious to see how it goes because my belief heading into this year was that the Nuggets were close and that the Nuggets were a championship contender. And I think most championship contenders understand that there's a a massive need for size and athleticism on the wing and at the forward spot. That should be self-explanatory. And and for teams that are trying to defend LeBron, Kawhi. Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, I don't feel like I need to explain myself in trying to figure out that the Nuggets should add pieces who can match up with those guys. Uh, You're never going to stop those guys, but for the Lakers, for example, they added Marc Gasol. And probably the main reason that they added Marc Gasol was because of Nikola Jokic. They added a piece that they felt like was a perfect matchup for what the Nuggets offer them in a matchup, in a in a series. Jokic is going to be on the floor for 38 minutes a night, and while Anthony Davis will play some and Montrez Harrell will play some five, the Lakers really got better by adding Marcus Gasol to also be a matchup problem for Jokic. The Nuggets kind of went the other direction on that. like Against teams like the Lakers and Clippers, where, where Jeremy Grant was so uh, prevalent, and Torrey Craig was so prevalent, they have lost both of those guys. They even got rid of Bates Diop. Like, it, it just to me seems like something isn't adding up for what Denver is trying to do. So adding Campazzo, who I believe will be a good backup point guard, I think he's going to be a, a really valuable one, actually, because of what he does on the offensive side of the floor. But that's going to be in the regular season. When it, when it comes around to the playoffs, I don't think you can play Morris and Campazzo together. Like, you're going to have to, A, pick one. And if it's Campazzo who you're picking, he's going to get picked on every time by playoff teams. Like, who is he defending if not the opposing team's point guard? And what happens if that point guard is Damian Lillard? Or, hell, Dennis Schroeder from the Lakers? Like, I think there are major questions about this addition. 
And it really confused me that the Nuggets decided to kind of trend away from the size of athletic wings and instead kind of load up on guards and bigs. Um, I don't understand it, but maybe it's for the sole reason of getting Michael Porter Jr. ready. And we'll talk about that on the other side. segment here talked about all of the additions and subtractions over the course of the uh, the first two segments and I didn't really mention Mason Plumley, but good for Mason for getting a three-year 25 million dollar contract with Detroit I think that number blew away a lot of people um, he's a solid backup point guard in my eyes he's not a or backup center uh, probably going to play point guard in in Detroit given how many centers they added but like I'm I'm concerned about Detroit. Like they added Jeremy Grant and they added Mason Plumley and that duo on the Nuggets this past season had a minus not 5.5 net rating. And that's really bad. Like if if that's the duo that you just paid a combined 85 million dollars over the course of the next 4 years then that's uh that's questionable. So We'll see what they do. We'll see what ends up happening with them. But good for him. Good for Torrey Craig for latching on with Milwaukee. That's a good spot for him. He's not going to have to play every night, but there will be situations where he is out there in the closing lineup so that Drew Holiday doesn't have to do everything uh, so that Dante DiVincenzo can get a break and, and he isn't the defensive guy. Um, and then Chris Middleton can then be freed up to defend other players. So I like what the Bucks are doing and kind of pivoting away from the Bogdan Bogdanovich mishap. And <laughs> that was a, a poor mishap. So we'll see if they're finished. Uh, I don't think they're winning a championship. And if Giannis is, I, I think that Giannis may be gone. So that's really sad, but it is what it is. We're talking about the Nuggets and we're talking about Michael Porter Jr. And Bull Bull to a lesser extent, because I think that the Nuggets, I think that, the moves that they made, it almost reads like the front office doesn't believe that Denver is close to winning a championship as they are currently constructed. And they are instead prioritizing development. That's probably hard to hear for a lot of people. And it's kind of hard to hear for me too, because I, I thought that this team really had a chance and think that they still do have a chance if certain things go right. Um, and I think the Nuggets believe that too. Uh, because it's also possible that the Nuggets just believe in the young guys that they have. That they just believe in kind of the talent rising to the top of the rotation at some point and really giving the Nuggets their best chance to win at the end of this year, at the for next year, and then for the years going forward. It's Michael Porter Jr., it's Bull Bull, it's P.J. Dozier, it's Zeke Naji, it's R.J. Hampton. There are a lot of young pieces that Denver has on their roster that are in between 19 years old and 22 years old, and they aren't even Denver's star core in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, who are 23 and 25 respectively. Like, I think that there are, like, it, it's it's going to be fine, and, and the Nuggets are going to be good 
and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are going to carry things for most of this time, and they're going to struggle to incorporate Michael Porter Jr. because that's going to be it's going to be tough. Like it's it's a it's a culture shock for everybody involved. It's going to be a culture shock for Michael Malone. It's going to be a culture shock for Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and trying to figure out how to work in this piece who believes that he can be a 25 point per game scorer right now. And if you gave him the shot opportunities, he might do it. But that may not be the best thing for his development. That may not be the best thing for the Nuggets right now. What they need to do is they need to have him comfortable with being the elite third option that I think he could be. Um, I believe that that's Denver's end goal for this season. Is for Murray, Porter, and Jokic to grow as accustomed to playing with each other, to being on the floor together as possible. Uh, 30 plus minutes for each of them on every single night if unless there's a, a minor injury or a, a rest day needed. Uh, maybe slightly less for Porter as he learns to adjust to a full workload. Um, after that, though, I think the rotation gets really interesting. Uh, Gary Harris and Will Barton have always dealt with injuries. They are... They are it pains me to say it, but like there is some injury proneness in how they have performed over the last two years. Uh, in and out of lineups, really having their the athleticism sapped over the course of a couple years. And I think there's a question kind of internally as to whether Will Barton is ready to go and whether he will be perfectly capable of starting the season. Uh, he hasn't played since one half of one scrimmage game in the bubble, I think in late July. Um, And before that, he was struggling with a knee injury back in March. So counting on him for a full workload, for a full minutes load, when the season is starting at an abnormal time, seems like a bad idea. Same thing with Harris, who sat out the first five games of the playoffs in the entire bubble regular season and then came back and had a, a pretty strong outing for the the end of the Utah series and then for most of the Clippers series, but then kind of flamed out in the Lakers series. He needs to be on a regular minutes restriction. I don't see him as a 30-minute-per-game guy. And I think that's okay. You don't have to be a 30-minute-per-game guy when there's so much depth on the roster and so many pieces that could potentially be awesome. Um, I think that everybody else outside of Murray, Porter, and Jokic should be averaging less than 30 minutes a night. I think that'll be pretty easy with uh, Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap kind of splitting power forward minutes, maybe some center time. Uh, should be particularly easy for Harrison Barton if Michael Malone gives them an opportunity to rest a little bit and not be as prevalent. Um, it should be pretty easy as long as Michael Porter Jr. is the starting small forward of the team. Like, if you're building blocks and your foundation is the starting point guard for 30-plus minutes, the starting small forward for 30-plus minutes, and then the starting center for 30-plus minutes, then you should be okay. And there should be opportunities to build out the rest of the rotation in a kind of an alternate way 
than, than what Malone has normally done. He sometimes likes to do hockey substitutions when the rotation is strictly defined. I don't think the rotation is as defined as it was in previous years. Uh, Mason Plumlee is gone, and I don't see Hartenstein as the everyday backup center. Zeke Naji certainly won't be. Uh, Tory Craig is gone, which means that the small forward position is kind of in flux, and I think that you could see Bull Bull even getting some minutes there. P.J. Dozier, who I think is a point guard mostly, might get some minutes at small forward, and it's going to be weird. Uh, because if Monte Morris is the backup point guard, and or, or Faku Campazzo is the backup point guard, and Monte Morris is the backup two, maybe they just go with three point guards. Go with P.J. Dozier at the backup three. Maybe they go with Bull Bull and go with a jumbo lineup to surround the two undersized guards in the backcourt. There are different ways for the Nuggets to kind of approach this thing. I think it's I think it's important to try to use as many combinations as possible throughout the regular season because the ultimate goal of this plan, the ultimate goal of Denver's regular season has to be to get Murray, Porter, and Jokic as accustomed to playing with each other as possible. And you can't get them as accustomed unless you know their exact strengths and weaknesses of the group, which players play well with each other along with those three. Like, it's very possible that with Murray, Porter, and Jokic that Gary Harris or Will Barton is not the best shooting guard on the roster. Maybe that's P.J. Dozier. Maybe the best thing for it is to go with a, a another ball handler like Monte Morris. Maybe it's even R.J. Hampton. I don't know. Um, and then a power forward. Maybe it's Bull Bull. Maybe it's Zeke Naji. Maybe it's Jamichael Green. Or maybe it is, in fact, Paul Millsap, who I think will be the opening night starter. Um, but the ultimate goal of this regular season should be to figure out who works well with Murray, Porter, and Jokic, and how to get best get those three comfortable with suiting up together and playing on the floor for as many minutes as they're going to get. That could be in combinations. That could be with all three of them on the floor. It could be with just Murray-Jokic, just Murray-Porter, and just Porter-Jokic. There are different ways that Denver is going to have to accompany this thing. Uh Michael Malone is going to be in for probably the toughest coaching job of his career. He has to give Porter as much of a leash as he possibly can so that he can learn through his mistakes on the floor. Experience is the best teacher. Michael Malone knows this. He understands this. And I think he's going to start Porter because of it. I think, he's, I think he knows the direction that this thing is trending. And whether he likes it or not, whether he wants a defender at the small forward position as opposed to an offensive player, I think it's a moot point now because now there is no Jeremy Grant. Now there is no Torrey Craig. Now there is no Katie Bates-Diop to kind of fill in the gaps behind all these guys. It's going to be really weird. It's going to be something that the Nuggets are going to have to work through. Um, and I don't think it's going to be without bumps, which means that there's going to be patience. There's going to need to be uh, constant vigilance on like how the team is feeling, how the team is moving, uh, which players are performing well, which players aren't. I don't think it's going to be a set nine-man or ten-man rotation. 
I could see as many as 12 to 13 guys playing. Um, I could easily see it, actually. So, we're just going to have to see what happens. I'm looking forward to this year now. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily have high expectations with this group. Because I think wing defense is probably the second most important component of any team outside of star power. Denver has the star power, let's be clear. I'm not sure if Michael Porter Jr. is ready to handle the defensive workload that he's about to be undertaking. And it's going to be trial by fire. I wrote about that on Denver Stiffs for Monday, so make sure to check out that article in case you missed it. I think that's one of my better ones, actually. But it's going to be fascinating. Um, I'm looking forward to the challenge for Michael Malone and seeing how he can handle it. If it comes out well, then I think you're going to see three guys averaging 20-plus points per game with Denver averaging a top-three offense and the defense being above average. And if that's the case, if Denver can get to that point, then they remain a championship contender. They might have to make an in-season move. They might have to add one more wing defender or a forward or of some sorts, but they're still in a decent spot. And it's important to realize that. It's important to recognize that consistently. So as long as you have Murray and Jokic and then hopefully Porter, things continue to look up. So don't be so negative that things could get pretty ugly. I wouldn't have championship expectations this year, but I do believe that Denver is in line to win a lot of games. They're going to be a lot of fun. Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull are going to be on the floor. And it's going to be really interesting. So keep that in mind and keep a positive mind frame because I'm curious. I'm, I'm definitely curious of what's going on. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Make sure to check out denverstiffs.com for everything. Uh, had a lot of great stuff on there and, and continue to have some great stuff on there. So we're going to be approaching training camp real soon. And there's going to be a lot of coverage and it's going to be really weird. But training camp? then preseason, then regular season on December 22nd. Everything's coming fast. Today is November 24th. It's about to be December 22nd real quick.